0: That was absolutely gorgeous, worship team. Thank you so much. Ariel, such a beautiful anointing on your voice, brother. That was... Hey, listen, yeah. listen, yeah. I mean, just... Listen to him all day, worship the Lord. Well, good morning. good morning. Good morning. I wanted to start with a question this morning. Have you ever been tempted in terms of your prayers, the prayers that you ask of God, have you ever been tempted to uh, kind of help God answer your own prayers? (laughs) Never, Tracy, Just there's never been that, huh, okay, that's good to know. I I confess that sometimes, you know, I, I know he's God, But sometimes I don't think he gets the nuances of my prayers as well as I do sometimes. And how about timing, right? I mean, sometimes I think I've prayed it through, but he doesn't quite understand the urgency in which I really want this thing to happen. Has that ever, you ever, can you relate to that at all? Sometimes, yes, that, that I, yes, he, he's got it all, but I, I, I circle back sometimes and say, you know, Lord, this, it would work better if you just do a couple of things right here. My mom was this wonderful uh, woman of faith and uh, she uh, passed away a number of years ago. Miss her all the time, though I think she's present with us in the, in the worship service oftentimes. And um, she was this woman of prayer, and she prayed, and probably even she didn't know all the language, but received a prophetic word for all three of us children while we were grown up. And surprisingly, she, even though she wasn't in a community that would would really talk about those things or or walk through those things, she had the maturity to ask the Lord, not only discern that prophetic word and ask the Lord, but then to say, Lord, should I share that with the kids? And in all three instances, he said, no, that's for you. So that you can pray, but I don't want you to share those prophetic. She wrote them down, but then didn't share them, and, and that enabled her to pray more effectively for all of us. and And eventually, she saw mostly all three of those uh, come to pass. But she didn't want to overly influence uh, us kids with you know she didn't want to say God told me this about your life. She wanted us, she knew that the discernment process, the walking was important and so forth. So the prophetic word for me, very interesting, it was really kind of a two-part prophetic word. And the first part was, I was, when I was still young and I was in college and I wasn't even thinking about ministry at all, he had told her that I would enter full-time ministry and, and uh, preach and teach God's word. So obviously she was off on that one. <laughs> but the second part, there's still a chance that she's on. So, um, so that was the first part. The second part was um, the nature or quality of the ministry, an aspect of the ministry that I would... Uh, live out. And I i don't think I've told very many people. Uh, my siblings know know that. But that's about it. Um, and the nature in which she shared of the ministry is still huh, unfulfilled. And I've been in full-time ministry for over 25 years. It's like, God, what's... Uh, What's going on? I have huge temptation to help God along in the answer to what he said, what he directed, what seems from him. And I think there's a huge temptation interesting that Beth mentioned that gap I think there's a few gaps that God leaves in the process of faith, in the walk of faith. He leaves some gaps because he knows that only faith will fill that gap. That if he he rolled it out and it was easy and it says, here's what I'm going to do, and then did it with no tension, no test, no wrestling, well, then it'd be rather easy, wouldn't it? The only problem is we wouldn't grow in our faith. Because it's in that gap that we grow. It's in that gap that there is this trial or test that God allows us to go through. And he wants us to press in and trust him, even in the long haul. Some of you, probably many of you, are with me in this, God, I thought it was this, I thought it looked this way, I've been praying, I thought this was your will, but nothing is happening. What's happening? Where are you? I don't know. This morning, we're going to look at Sarai and Abram, been following Abram. Chapter 16, if you've brought your Bibles, uh, turn to those, um, And we're going to see an instance where Abram and Sarai try and help God along in fulfilling his promises. Now, remember, we were in, a number of weeks ago, we were in chapter 12, and that's where we saw that uh, that blessing, that promise. Five times, God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless you, you're going to be a great nation, you're going to have kids and as many as the sands on the seashore and stars in the sky and the promised land, you're going to be here, go to this promised land, trust me, and they go, this beautiful promise to Abram that will affect affect us and foreshadow Jesus Christ and the blessing of the whole world. Right, And they they go to the promised land. Then last chapter we saw, they they cut a covenant. They make a covenant. and, And God affirms these blessings of children and his great nation, all that. Ten years, still nothing. Nothing. They're in the promised land. And when he told them in Genesis 12, they were already older, well past the baby-making stage, right, in life. And so that was like an incredible promise that he gave them. And then 10 years later, they're in the promised land. They've done what God has, has told them to do. Nothing. What do you do? Well, they're going to try and take manners into their own hands, which generally is not advisable when it comes to God. Before we uh, read Genesis 16, I want to give you, um, I, wanna, I felt led to just kind of pull back for just a moment, and I wanted to give you two promises, not in your outline. You might want to write these promises down. I, I think these, these two promises are core to life in God's kingdom. And these two promises are for you and for me. It doesn't matter who you are. But these two promises, one is um, a promise from Jeremiah 29, 13. God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He, he is promising a covenant relationship. He's saying, I am offering. Just as we saw last week, the, uh, uh, this covenant intimate relationship, he said, I am your sovereign. I am your portion. I am with you. He's offering that to each and every one of us that we can walk with him in a personal relationship. All right, that's a promise. If you do not know him yet, if you're not walking in a personal relationship with God, would you claim that promise for yourself? God, you said, if if I seek you, seek you with all of my heart, I'll find you. Would you claim that promise? Jeremiah 29, 13. The second promise is this, John 14, 26. John 14, 26. But the advocate, the counselor, the Holy Spirit whom the father will send in my name Jesus is saying will teach you all things and will remind you of everything i have said to you that's a promise from jesus our culture is very driven with a message that says it's your life it's your dreams It's a you-directed life. Take hold of it. That is not a biblical message. God says, I have plans for you, each and every one of my children, and I want to share them. This promise, the Holy Spirit will teach you a few things, does the scripture say? All things. And I, have a, and I have a life in store for you that is more meaningful and more significant and more purposeful than you could ever knit together for yourself. There's a richness and a depth to the life I have for you. Would you ask the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, and He will show you all things. It's a promise. We get to live and claim those two promises every day. If you're not, if you're still living a you-directed life, I would encourage you to claim that second one. and Say, Lord, I-, I want it to be your direction for my life. I want that good life. I want the abundant life, Jesus, that you talked about, that you promised for your followers. Would you teach me what that is? All right, speaking of you-direction... I'm going to see the patriarchs, matriarch take matters into their own hands. Genesis chapter 16 verse 1 reads, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, uh, had borne him no children. Remember, she'd been waiting 10 years since the promise. Still nothing. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram said, well, if you really insist, I guess I'll... All it says is Abram agreed, the patriarch of our faith. I wonder if he like tried to fake it for like five seconds. No, dear, I don't. okay, if it's, uh, we don't really have the details there, but that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to repress some other comments that have come to mind all week, and we'll just go on. Abram agreed. He acquiesces. Abram agreed to to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress, show contempt for Sarai. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. Again, I'm going to just repress all the comments that came to mind right away. And we'll keep reading. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. I don't think she really wants that. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. This isn't really a great, this isn't Sarai's best moment, is it? Really, in in no way, is. The angel of the Lord found Hagar. Near a spring in the desert, it was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. He said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers." Some have seen that as a reflection, of generational sin, the hostility that he was born in happening. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Ber-Lahai-Roi. Roy. is still here between Kadesh and Berad. So Hagar bore Abram a son and Abram gave him the name Ishmael to the son he had born, she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. All right, quite a story, huh? Uh, amazing story. And I think that all three of the main characters, Sarai, Abram, and Hagar have something to teach us about the life of faith today. Now, sometimes we learn by their mistakes, right? That, that, that's a wisdom. We not only want to learn from the successes which we've seen Abram, Sarah have, but also their failures. And and, and I want to talk not only seeing their mistake, but perhaps Another direction that they would have gone could have gone that would honored God been a way of faith, as opposed to a stumbling of faith. I want to talk about both the stumbling and the miscues, but also say, what could have they done instead? First, let's talk about the instigator uh, of this whole process, Siri. And I thought, don't help. God, he doesn't need your help, right? He's God. No, he knows the nuances of your prayers better than you do. He knows his timing is perfect. You might not think it's perfect. It is. We get to trust him. And so we don't want to help in ways that are very unhelpful. Instead, what we want to do is I put weight and yes, cooperate with him in spirit-directed, spirit-led ways. Look at, look at verse two. In fact, we see that, that Sarai isn't really responding to God's direction, is she? In fact, she says, the Lord has kept me from having children. This implies a profound doubt a profound lack of faith from her perspective she's saying if the lord is not going to keep his promise that he told us and we've obeyed and we've come here well i'm going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to get it done. This is an impatient misstep, a lack of faith. Friends, this is another test, right? We're learning, I think, not only about faith and walking in faith, but God allows and sometimes causes tests and, and, and tests are designed. Remember, God's desire is not that we would fail, not that we would stumble. What's God's design for the purposes of testing our faith? growth yes yes he is growing our faith he's wanting to make us into the image the lost and broken fallen from the image of his son he's saying i want to grow your faith from the inside out and sometimes he allows delays or unanswered prayers and he allows how will they respond he wants us to grow our faith this is a test i believe the 10-year 10 years, is this, he could have answered it right away. And he's testing. He's, he's wanting them to turn and trust and grow in that relationship with him. And yet she fails the test. By the way, a couple of weeks ago, I, I talked to you of my ambition of making a Super Bowl dip that would test the integrity of my tortilla chip. Do you remember that analogy that I gave? Yes. So I did create a chicken, black bean, tomato, Velveeta cheese dip. Did you bring any? And I, I did not bring any. And I'm happy to say that the first tortilla chip, I, it, it broke right in half. Mission accomplished. It was the only satisfying aspect of my entire Super Bowl experience. <laughs> All right. So it's a test. When we experience a test, he tests the integrity of our faith. Now, in slight defense of Sarai, this was a cultural practice. This was not "ah, this was not different. This was a practice. They've actually found ancient marriage tablets that talk about when, when the, um, the patriarch, the male of the, the family that owns an estate, if he doesn't have kids, they oftentimes would find alternative ways to provide that. So she's pulling from her culture to try and you know get Abram. Heritage to remove the shame of not in their culture, the shame of women what was the highest if they didn't have kids. But who knows, kingdom life, sometimes we are called to be countercultural. If there's a cultural practice that is not consistent with the will of God, that's not consistent with the word of God, that's not consistent with the promise of what God is doing, He says, No, don't take your cues from culture. Take your cues from me. Trust and wait. She was not, especially because of verse two, she was not seeking God's counsel. She makes this decision based on doubt and frustration and impatience. Now, a significant challenge in the faith, I believe, is when... God calls us to play a role. God calls us to cooperate with him. The challenge is, is when is it cooperation? And when is it doing our own thing to help God out? That's the challenge, right? I believe in open and closed doors. I believe scripture gives testimony to that. I believe that God sometimes He directs through open and closed doors, and we're to recognize like that, and then sometimes He calls us to walk on through because He's opened that door. We've been praying, and bam, that door opens, and so we walk through. I think the problem is Sarai, she got impatient at the closed door, right? So what does she do? she she Kicks that sucker down, right? She, she pushes through that. She's like, come on, God. What's going on? And I think that is the temptation that we have. Here's the, here's the kicker. Here's the deal. Is God will never ask you to do something that lacks integrity on your part. He will never ask you to compromise what is right. He will never ask you to do something. Think how hurtful this was to Hagar right? Think what a, what a mess. this. He will never cause you to do something that compromises your righteousness before God. If you're wrestling and you're like, God, oh, is that an open door? Yeah, well, that would be slightly dishonest, but I, I think the ends justify the means. That is not a biblical statement. The ends do not justify the means. If the, if the means lack integrity, if they are not loving, if they are not biblical, it is not God directing you to cooperate with his will in your life. My favorite illustration biblically from this is uh, David. You know, David, when he was very young, he was anointed by the prophet to be king. There's a problem. Saul was king. Right? So David has to wait for the fulfillment of the promise of God that he's anointed. And not only does he have to wait, he becomes a warrior, and he's fighting on behalf of Israel, and God's giving him success, but he's still not king. He's still not king. Then Saul, he starts to sense that David has this calling on his life, And so he starts to decide he wants to kill David. So he starts pursuing David. And David is given the opportunity twice to take Saul's own life, right? One time, they're pursuing David and his men. David and his men hide in this cave. And Saul and his army that are pursuing to kill David are going past this cave. And guess who wanders into the cave to relieve himself? Saul does, the guy who's trying to kill him. And David's men, you know what they say? (laughs) Yeah, God has done it, David. He's opened the door. You bet you're gonna be king. Now he's right there relieving himself. Take his life. Boy, if I was in David's shoes, I'd have been like, I think that's the open door, right? There's a problem. It would have been unrighteous for him to kill Saul. To kill the anointed one. It doesn't matter that Saul is pursuing him to take his life. That's not an excuse for him to sin. It doesn't matter that he's been told he would be king and he could shortcut the process because it was sin. And incredibly, David just trims the corner of his, his robe, Saul goes out, David follows him, he yells to Saul. He says, "Listen, I, twice I could have taken your life, and, and I didn't." And listen to what he says. He has this First Samuel 24:12. says, "May the Lord judge between you and me. I think we have this slide. Irene, go to the next slide. May the Lord judge between you and me. Same phrase that Sarai uses. right, but she, um, I don't think she really wanted to apply that to her neighbor. David uses this between him and Saul. May the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me by my hand, but my hand, will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. He could have made a great argument to justify the action, and he says, no, I will not do it. David was determined to follow God and do right. Now I'm gonna share a a personal characteristic that is often associated negatively. And if I'm completely honest, it has often come out in negative ways in my life and my relationships, okay? This personal characteristic, my mom, speaking of my mom this morning, she used to say, Eric, you are the most stubborn of all three of my kids. Stubborn as a mule. And I was like the youngest, and I was the happy-go-lucky one, and I was like, really? I don't see it. And yet I realized there were times. Sometimes, again, negatively, it was, it was uh, out of selfishness. It was what I wanted. Sometimes, especially in childhood, it was in spite Right? I was stubborn because I was going to get this person back. Yeah, hopefully I've, I've grown past some of those things. But I began to recognize some of that stubbornness in my own life. I, I'm willing to bet that this might be one of my wife's least favorite characteristics of mine. Yes, would that be true? Uh huh. Um, so there's a stubbornness, but I've also said, is there a positive that I could try and change that stubbornness? What do you think? My wife's pretty sure, no, it is not a positive in any circumstance. What if I were able to take that and become stubborn for righteousness? Stubborn for the things of God stubborn for what he is doing. You know, one of the reasons that's so disappointing with, with Abram is just Abram seems so weak, right? I mean, I know he's the father of our faith, but it's right here. He's he's weak, right? He, I mean, it would have been so much, rather than, and it all says, Abram agreed, but that's it? Sounds good to me? You want me to sleep with your Egyptian slave girl? Hmm. Okay, all right, I, I'm down. Right? I, I mean, just he just agrees. I mean, where was that sense of David going? No, that's not right. That that's compromise. Right? Where is that sense? And then also when again when when Sarah is is saying, "Look at this is your fault," and. And then he goes, okay, do with Hagar, whatever you want. Isn't that weak, right? would it have been great if he's, no, that, wait, 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 this is not right. This isn't a way of faith. I would love personally to be stubborn for righteousness rather than out of selfishness. I would love to say, no, I, You know, even though it doesn't make sense to me, even though God is delaying, even though I don't know why I've prayed this prayer again and again and again, and it seems like in God's will, oh, well, I could could just cut this little corner and it would help God out. I would love to be stubborn like David was and say, I no, that, that's not the way of God and I, I don't know how it's gonna work out and maybe this is a missed door but, but I am gonna go down in righteousness. I am not going down cutting corners. Abram, he, he fails the test and, and by the way, in the kingdom of God, this is really important, we don't get to pass the buck for our personal sin. We don't get to stand. I, I don't think that when, when Abram stood before God, he got to say, well, I know the Hagar deal, yeah, but I mean, Sarai was really upset about this. So I said, okay, I, I don't think we get to do that. I don't think we get to say, well, you know, he, there was great pressure. With All my friends were, were really weighing in, so I, I acquiesced. And I said, okay. I don't know if some of you saw uh, the news article from this year's NFL season. It was from New York. And uh, there was a, his name was Christopher Grayshock. And uh, it was the night that it was during the regular season and the Bills, who weren't very good, humiliated the New York Jets 41 to 10. And, uh, and so uh, Christopher Grayshock in New York, he, he got into a uh, drunk driving accident. And so he got in the accident, the, the police pulled him out, and they said, they wrote, wrote in the report, staggering and swaying, unable to walk straight, and in danger of falling onto the highway. They gave him the sobriety test, and, and he couldn't make it. And then in the report, it was what was Grayshock's excuse for drinking during the field sobriety test. He was quoted as saying, I drunk too much because the New York Jets suck. (laughs) Surprisingly, the police officers did not let him off. (laughs) They might have even agreed with him on the assessment of the quality of the New York Jets, right? But... We're all responsible for the decisions we make, regardless of whether it's our loved ones, like Abram with Sarai, whether it's our spouses or our children, right? those that are closest to us that we really love. I think we fall into enabling people in their sin because we're not stubborn for righteousness. Because we say, well... Okay, if you if you really feel that strongly about it, normally I, I, I wouldn't do that, but no, I, I think in the kingdom of God. I, I believe wholeheartedly in the kingdom of God. That God does not discount sin because of circumstance or people's influence. No matter how close we are, no matter how much we love them, he's calling us to live in righteousness. He's calling us sometimes to to speak the hard word. Sometimes to say, I know this is going to cause great hardship in our relationship, but I cannot do that. I cannot do that. You understand, he, he calls us to, to stand for righteousness regardless of the pressure that is put on us. would have loved it if Abram would have said, honey, I love you. And I know it's hard and I don't get it either and I know it's been a long time and I know the promises seem, seem unbelievable at this point, but, but we can't compromise. We gotta stay true. We, we gotta live the right way. We've got, I, I know, I don't get it either. But let's do good. Let's do right. Life would not have gone well for Abram if he did that. I'm sure it would have been a struggle. But it' worth it. Because the seeds we sow come to fruition all the time. And these seeds have come to fruition. There's neat words from Paul to Timothy. You know, Paul wrote First and Second Timothy. He's encouraging Timothy in the faith. He's writing to him. And I love how the message puts, uh, puts this. So I, I put it in your outline. I have it up there in, in message form. This is First Timothy 6, 11 and 12. He says, But you, Timothy, man of God, run for your life from all these things. He's been talking about unrighteousness. He's been talking about the, the pressures of ministry and all that. He's saying, run from all of that and instead pursue a righteous life. I love that. Pay attention to the words, the, the verbs in, in Paul's words. Pursue a righteous life—a life of wonder, of faith, of love, of steadfastness, of courtesy. Run hard and fast in the faith. Seize the eternal life—the life you were called to, the life you so fervently embraced in the in the presence of so many witnesses. Don't you love the verbs there? Don't you love how how he's not saying just wait around and and you know talk? No, no, no. He's saying go after, embrace. The life that God has for you. So I think if we're running after the life God has for us, when the temptation comes to compromise, we'll say, Boy, that would be a misdirection. That would be off the path. That, no, that does not sound right. I'm too busy running after the life God has. And I know it's a life of righteousness and integrity. We hear those words and run after all that he has for us. You know, when people treat me badly, when, when people act poorly towards me, do you know what my, my temptation how to respond is? Yeah. Treat them bad right back. Yes, yeah. In fact, here's my desire to treat them how they deserve to be treated. True. I get to be judge and, and jury on that, right? But I, that's my, that, I mean, that's human inclination. Of course, that's my, my first, what they, are? okay, we can, oh, they haven't met this stubborn guy yet. So we're going to give it back just as they dished it out. Again, that's the cultural way. We treat people how we think they deserve to be treated. That's not Christ's way. What did Christ tell us? Actually, a couple of ways. First is, as Father has loved you, so love one another. Oh, well, that's one another. That's Christians, not enemies. Mm. There was a little something about Love your enemies. Yeah, but if they're your enemies, they don't deserve to be loved by you, right? That's the wrong perspective. We're saying, Lord, how did I... Oh, you were pretty grace-filled when I sinned again. When I compromised my integrity, you, you allowed your mercy to flow in my life as I realized that. When I committed that same sin again, you you were so gracious and so kind. You spoke the truth and love to me. God says, that's how you treat others. That's the key kingdom principle. Some of you remember the, uh, um, uh, the movie Man on Fire where, where Denzel Washington is getting ready to, to explode the enemies and this little Catholic couple, man says, the church says to forgive. And Denzel says, forgiveness is between them and God. My job is to arrange the meeting. <laughs> I don't think that was a God-given assignment on Denzel's part. Right? Okay. Real quick, let's, uh, let's talk about um, Hagar real briefly. Really, she is the, the sympathetic Character in the story, is she not? Right? She's not given a whole lot of choice um, in the matter. But she does, um, in the culture, she does look down on Sarai for not being able to have a child. There's a, an aspect of contempt, uh, an aspect of judgment. Some would argue it's understandable, yet still not right. I just wrote, Don't live in contempt but look to the God who sees. In fact, I think this is a beautiful aspect of of the story. If you think of the grand scheme of things, that God is working salvation through the life of Abram. Right? This is a, the grand story he's working. And you've got Hagar, who's, uh, uh, she's foreign-born. She's a slave. In terms of the societal norms, she is the bottom rung, and she gets worked over, and she's crying, and she flees. And somehow... You don't know the level of faith or where she was or what she understood about God. Somehow she knows enough to cry out to the God of Abram and Sarai, despite that she's fleeing probably towards Egypt, her hometown. And God, even though he is working the grand narrative, even though he's working with Abram and Sarai, he is mindful of this Egyptian slave girl. And he meets her right where she's at. A statement of no one is insignificant in the kingdom of God. Doesn't matter race or wealth or status that God knows each and every soul in his kingdom. Psalm 34, 1. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. This beautiful aspect of God. Some would argue that this is a pre-incarnational experience of Christ. You could translate rather than angel, messenger, and Jesus comes in the Old Testament, or that the angel was a representative. But regardless, the Lord comes to Hagar, and says, I hear you, I love you, and then speaks promise into her life, and she returns. God comes to her and names the well, was not a well of beer, it's beer, Lahai Roy, well of the living one who sees me. No matter who you are in this world, God sees you. Ishmael is translated a God who hears. God hears you. Back to the initial promises. No matter who you are, if you seek me, You will find me. If you desire, I will fill you with my spirit. And I promise you will become a sheep of my fold and you will recognize my voice. You'll hear my voice and I'll lead and direct your life. That's the good life. That's the abundant life. No matter who you are, hear and obey. Let's pray. So I want to invite the uh, worship team forward, the prayer folks, if you would come forward. And uh, if there's a sense that you still really have big questions about God's plan for your life and what he's doing, I would encourage you to come and get prayer. It's so good to, to receive prayer for, for others to pray God's wisdom and direction. If there's a decision that you're wrestling with and you're not sure if, if it's from God, would you come and, and, and let people weigh in And pray for you that you would hear God's still small voice. Pray for open doors and closed doors and direction. I encourage you, get prayer. So, Lord, we come before you. Lord, some of us need perseverance. I'd be one of those folks. Lord, I confess, I certainly don't understand all that you're doing or not doing or have not done yet. For those of us in need of that perseverance, would you grant that this morning by your spirit? Lord, would you bear that fruit in our lives of patience, of sometimes long suffering. Lord, would you, in the midst of the test, would you increase our faith? Lord, would you teach us to be stubborn for righteousness, not a people of compromise. But a people of conviction a people of compassion and yet not cutting corners and failing the character test to teach us lord to walk this faith walk in the ways that honor and glorify We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Can we stand together and respond?